The Alabama Department of Public Health said Wednesday, a person who recently received the Pfizer COVID-19 experienced a severe allergic reaction, and specifically the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. So the ADPH released the following statement. The Alabama Department of Public Health, ADPH, has been made aware that a person who received the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine Tuesday experienced anaphylaxis, a severe allergic reaction, several minutes after taking the vaccine and while in required post-vaccine observation. The patient was immediately treated with anaphylaxis protocol at Decatur Morgan Hospital, where the vaccine was administered. At this time, the patient is stable and appears to be recovering. Information received is that the patient had a previous history of anaphylaxis to biologic agents and following a risk assessment wished to proceed with vaccine. Previous anaphylaxis to biologics is a precaution, not a contradiction to COVID-19 vaccine. As required by the Emergency Use Authorization, EUA, that adverse reaction has been documented and reported to the manufacturer. As of Wednesday at 7 a.m., Alabama providers reported 15,286 doses of COVID-19 vaccine have been administered in the state. Nationwide, six persons have been reported to have had anaphylaxis after the COVID-19 vaccine. This is the only notice that ADPH has received of any allergic reactions in Alabama, and ADPH extends its wishes for a quick recovery to the patient, family, and all involved. And this is kind of scary, but if it is true that this person still proceeded with getting the vaccine, even with a prior condition of falling victim to something like this, well, really, that's just stupid, right? I mean, because they literally state, if you have allergies, do not take this vaccine. So, I mean, people need to be careful with this vaccine. Under new proposed regulations from the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, it may become much easier for the government to track Bitcoin transactions. And while there is currently a 15-day comment period open, cryptocurrency exchange Coinbase and the Electronic Frontier Foundation are calling foul because that period includes Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, New Year's Eve, and New Year's Day. The proposed regulations in question, which were filed at 4.20 p.m. ET on December 18th, are about private wallets. Let's say I am a famous and fancy cryptocurrency investor and I do some trading on Coinbase. If I have my own private wallet that I want to transfer my money to, I will have to identify myself as the wallet's owner if I'm sending more than $3,000 in a transaction. And if I want to do business with someone else who has a private wallet, I need to tell the exchange some pretty detailed personal information. The exchanges are then required to store records of all this and then turn them over on request. Also under the proposed regulation, an exchange would be required to report my personal information if I make a total of more than $10,000 in transactions in one day. You can see why Coinbase or any other exchange would see this new know-your-customer requirement at minimum as a complete pain in the donkey. It's also the most ironic development in cryptocurrency's ironic history. 
Born from a weird group of the libertarians, anarchists, and utopians, cryptocurrency promised to be a way to transact absolutely privately in a trustless system. Bitcoin, the world's biggest cryptocurrency, arose just after the 2008 financial crisis as an alternative to banks. But these new regulations will make cryptocurrency exchanges act a lot more like banks. Taken in concord with another rule change about international transactions, it may signal that cryptocurrency's wild years are over, and anonymity will be harder to find. Cryptocurrency exchanges make it easy to move from dollars or whatever into a cryptocurrency, and vice versa. That also means that they make cryptocurrency accessible to more people. The current FinCEN proposal makes more work for these exchanges and for the people operating within them, as well as undermining the anonymity for which cryptocurrency is famous. Taken in combination with another recent proposed rule change about how to report cryptocurrency that crosses borders, you can see why some cryptocurrency enthusiasts are nervous. There are some concrete consequences to this. The EFF points out. First, it makes anonymity more difficult in a transaction between a private wallet and one hosted by an exchange service. Second, the proposed legislation also makes it less appealing to have a private wallet. But the third problem is the real kick in the donkey. Some cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin, record all transactions publicly. That means if I am trading Bitcoin into my private wallet from an exchange. I have to send a bunch of identifying information about that wallet, which is then potentially available to the U.S. government. Because as soon as you know a specific wallet address is mine, you know every Bitcoin transaction I have ever made with that wallet. This means that the government may have access to a massive amount of data beyond just what the regulation purports to cover. The EFF writes. So Bitcoin. A cryptocurrency created to ensure anonymity would ensure exactly the opposite under these rules. Though I suppose with a little creativity, it's possible possible to get around them. You simply create a wallet for the know your customer rules, then transfer your money from there into a second private wallet. And yesterday, Coinbase's chief legal counsel Paul Gruel issued a response to FinCEN. Complaining about the 15-day period for comments on this rule change, FinCEN asked the public to provide comments in just 15 days, spanning Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, New Year's Eve, and New Year's Day in the middle of a global pandemic, leaving just a handful of actual working days for comments. Coinbase is asking for a 60-day review period, which is the norm. The shorter review period of just 15 days is because the Treasury Department says significant national security imperatives mean this has to move faster. It's true that some cryptocurrency transactions are criminal. For example, the Silk Road was a significant part of Bitcoin's history. After all, the proposed rule says that cryptocurrencies facilitate international terrorist financing, weapons proliferation, sanctions invasion. And transnational money laundering among its laundry list of potential criminality, but it's hard to know how serious that is, since 60 days from now, cryptocurrency exchanges would be dealing with the Biden administration rather than the outgoing Trump administration. There is no emergency here. There's only an outgoing administration attempting to bypass the required consultation with the public to finalize a rushed rule before their time in office is done. Grow roll. 
Regardless of the 15-day or 60-day period, it does seem like the Treasury Department is attempting to send a message to any would-be cypherpunks. You can't beat the existing financial world. You can only join it. The SEC goes after Ripple crashing XRP. The value of one of the world's most valuable cryptocurrencies is crashing in a recently filed SEC complaint is at the root of the freefall. According to CoinMarketCap, the XRP token's value has declined more than 42% in the past 24 hours and is down more than 63% from its 30-day high of 0.76. It now sits at just 0.27. XRP's price volatility has rivaled the most capricious of cryptocurrencies since reaching an all-time high of $3.84 back in January of 2018. The coin has spent much of the past two years drifting closer and closer to pennies. In the past month, on the back of major rallies from other cryptocurrencies, XRP has seen its biggest rally in years. But those gains were all raised this week by the Ripple CEO Brad Garlinghouse's admission that the SEC was planning to file a sweeping lawsuit against the company during the current administration's final days. The SEC's fundamental argument is that XRP has always been a security and that it should have been registered in the commission from the beginning more than seven years ago. The SEC claims that the defendants in this case, namely the company Ripple, CEO Brand Garlinghouse and Executive Chairman Chris Larson generated more than $1.38 billion from sales of the XRP token. Ripple was recently valued at $10 billion following a $200 million funding round. Ripple and the XRP token are technically separate, but Ripple maintains a significant total of the currency's market cap, and at one point the XRP token itself was referred to as Ripple and shared a logo with the company. The company's line has been that XRP is not a security but is in fact a tool for financial institutions. Though the coin's volatility has discouraged banks from actually adopting the token, Meanwhile, XRP is present on a number of cryptocurrency exchanges, a fact which could expand the scope of this legal complaint and affect more players in the space. In a blog post published yesterday that went live shortly after the SEC's suit was filed, Garlinghouse wrote that the SEC claims were completely wrong on the facts and law, and that the company was confident they would ultimately prevail before a neutral fact finder. The UK's Octopus Energy has attained a $2.06 billion valuation, which is 1.5 billion euros, after attracting a $200 million or $150 million investment from, well, oh, 150 million euro investment from Tokyo Gas for a 9.7% stake in order to launch a joint venture. Octopus will own 30% of the venture, with Tokyo Gas owning the majority. After five years of operation, Octopus is now close to the valuation of British gas owner Centrica. Octopus will now launch as a brand in Japan with its trademark 100% renewable electricity operation, which uses an innovative AI and database platform to balance loads around the world. Its Kraken software is also licensed to Origin Energy, Empower, and E.ON. Good Energy and Hanwha Corporation, among others, reaching 17 million energy accounts worldwide. This joint venture will bring our exciting approach to renewable energy and technology to the world's largest competitive energy market, and the investment will 
turbocharge our mission to revolutionize energy globally, said Chief Executive Greg Jackson. Australia's origin energy is also set to take a stake in Octopus for $50 million, or 37 million euros, following a larger investment in April when origin bought a 20% stake. Octopus says it is aiming for 100 million customers around the world by 2027 and recently launched in the US, Australia, Germany, and New Zealand. In the UK, Octopus has a 5% share of the energy supply market and counts 1.8 million households in its retail portfolio, according to the company. And Tokyo Gas President Takashi Uchida said, Through this partnership, we will contribute to the achievement of a better lifestyle for customers by realizing value creation and delivery tailored to every one of them. Japanese renewables lag the UK by 50%, and renewables in Japan in 2019 accounted for 18.9% of electricity versus 37.9% in the UK. So the potential for growth is significant. Japanese Prime Minister Yoshida Suga has set a target of reaching net zero by 2050. In the UK, Octopus has also launched Electric Juice, an electric vehicle roaming network, and partnered with Tesla to launch Tesla Power. Andrew Yang filled, or filed paperwork to run for New York City mayor in 2021, the campaign finance board confirmed. And to be frank, regardless of what you think of Andrew Yang, he'll probably be better than the person that's there right now. So the 45 year old tech entrepreneur amassed a loyal following in the Democratic primary and joined at least 35 other candidates who want to succeed the wildly unpopular. Mayor Bill de Blasio. Yang lives in the Hell's Kitchen neighborhood of Manhattan, and he's never run for a city office. But his name recognition and fundraising power could propel him to the list of frontrunners. The Democratic primary is in June, and before Yang's entry into the race, many thought it would be a two man fight between city comptroller Scott Stringer and Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams. A slingshot strategy survey of 1,000 Democrats obtained by the New York Post from before the announcement found that Yang, if he joined the race, would lead the pack. 20% of respondents listed Yang as their top choice, while 14% listed Adams and 11% named Stringer. Yang dropped out of the presidential race in February, joining the race as one of the least known candidates. He shot up to the middle tier in polls thanks to his Freedom Dividend, a universal basic income that would pay each adult American $1,000 per month, and his energetic, open minded approach to campaigning. He's fired warnings at members of his own party for policing cultural issues. I would say, hey, I'm running for president to a truck driver, retail worker, waitress in a diner. And they would say, What party? And I say Democrat, and they would flinch like I said something really negative, or I had just turned around or turned another color or something like that, Yang said in November. And there's something deeply wrong when working class Americans have that response to a major party that theoretically is supposed to be fighting for them. He continued, So you have to ask yourself, what has the Democratic Party been standing for in their minds? And in their minds, the Democratic Party unfortunately has taken on this role of the coastal urban elites who are more concerned about policing various cultural issues than improving their way of life that has been declining for years. And the thing is, he's pretty spot on. This is the way that many people view Democratic politicians specifically, where they're just basically elites not really caring about the people at all. 
So we got a pretty disturbing situation here. So a police officer fatally shot an unarmed black man who was only holding a cell phone while responding to a noise complaint here on Tuesday morning, authorities said. The Columbus Police Department said the shooting happened after cops responded to a non-emergency call in the early hours about a man sitting in an SUV for an extended period of time and repeatedly turning his car on and off. The incident was supposed to be captured on body-worn cameras, but both officers who responded didn't turn their devices on until after the shooting. Columbus Mayor Andrew Ginther said during a Tuesday press conference that he'd asked Columbus Police Chief Thomas Quinlan to remove the officer involved from duty and turn in his badge and gun. The officer, however, will still be paid due to his contract. It is unacceptable to me in the community that the officers did not turn on their cameras, Ginther said. Let me be clear. If you're not going to turn on your body-worn camera, you cannot serve and protect the people of Columbus. The community is exhausted, he added. Police said the body cams had a 60-second look-back feature that captured the shooting on video, but the look-back feature doesn't record audio. The silent video is expected to be released as early as Wednesday after it has been shared with the deceased 47-year-old's family, Ginther said. See, this is like super di- like disturbing because it's like, why are cops with body cams not turning on their body cams when they go to a call? Like, that doesn't even make any sense. Like, they literally invested so much money so that cops could be basically, one, protecting themselves, but also protecting the people that they're trying to serve. Like, it literally makes no sense to not turn it on. Neither the victim nor the cop involved have been publicly identified, but a local NBC affiliate named the officer as Adam Coy, an 18-year veteran, according to the Columbus Dispatch, which featured Coy in a 2015 story on Central Ohio police misconduct. He was caught on video three years earlier bashing a stopped driver's head into a car hood four times, an incident also witnessed by a college student. Now, if that is the same person, that is very disturbing. And why on earth would a cop still be a cop, like working as a cop, if he was caught literally bashing a stopped driver's head into a car four times? Like, what the heck? The officer was suspended for 160 hours and cited for force excessive for the situation. But as has so often proved to be the case where cops accused of violent misconduct, kept his job. Quinlan, who did not attend the press conference, said in a statement that he was troubled by the preliminary facts, particularly the decision not to turn on the cameras despite department policy. The division invested millions of dollars in these cameras for the express purpose of creating a video and audio record of these kinds of encounters, Quillen said. They provide transparency and accountability and protect the public as well as officers when the facts are in question. Investigators say the neighbor called police at 1.37 a.m. to report a man should, uh, sitting, sitting in an SUV parked on the street in northwest Columbus. 
a middle-aged white man who lives on the block said Tuesday he had placed the 911 call that brought police to the neighborhood. The man who refused to give his name said he wanted to make it clear that he made the call because he was woken up by a car engine that the driver kept turning on and off for an extended period. The man said that before he placed the 911 call, he took note that the engine noise was that of a Chevy SUV parked on the street. Loud exhaust, it ran all night, then it shut it off, and then it turned on again, he told the Daily Beast. I thought, it's been out there all night, why is it out there all night, I called 911. The man said the idling SUV seemed out of place in the neighborhood, a quiet middle-class area just west of the Ohio State University's campus. This neighborhood doesn't have that kind of problem, he said, there's no suspicious people driving around. The neighbor said after he called 911, the driver moved his SUV two driveways to the east. He said that when police arrived, he directed them to the SUV where another neighbor came out of her own home and said she knew the driver, apparently the deceased. She said he was a friend or a relative, the man told the Daily Beast. I said if he's a friend, he shouldn't be out there. When police arrived, the neighbor said they told him to return to his home. I was on the middle of the yard. I heard pop, pop, pop. No glass, no screams. I said, What the hell is going on out there? According to police, when officers arrived, they found a garage door open and a man inside. Preliminary investigations indicated the man was visiting someone inside the home, police said. According to a review of the look back footage from one of the officers' cameras, The 47-year-old then walked toward the officers with a cell phone in his left hand. His right hand, however, was not visible. One officer fired his weapon, striking the 47-year-old man, who later died at 2.25 a.m. at Ohio Health Riverside Methodist Hospital, police said. It wasn't clear what prompted the officer to fire his weapon, and police say no weapons were recovered at the scene. Police also admitted the footage showed a delay in the rendering of first aid to the man. I am deeply saddened, frustrated, angry, demanding answers of what happened in our community earlier this morning, Ginther said. I am committed to transparency and accountability in our division of police. In his statement, Quinlan called it a tragedy on many levels. Most importantly, a life has been lost. That must be our focus going forward, he said. The Ohio Attorney General's Bureau of Criminal Investigation is leading the investigation, and the city is also looking into the incident per police policy whenever an officer is involved in a shooting. On Tuesday afternoon, Gunther said Ohio Attorney General Dave Yoss asked him to delay the release of the body camera footage until the BCI had the chance to interview at least one of the two officers involved. Gunther, however, said he planned to release it after the Wednesday interview and after the 47-year-old's family had viewed it. We know that BCI will conduct a thorough independent investigation, Quinlan said. We promise that we will provide as much transparency as possible on our part, both with investigators and the public. Our community deserves the facts. If evidence determines that laws or policies were violated, officers will be held accountable. According to the Columbus Dispatch, a handful of protesters appeared at the Tuesday press conference shouting over reporters and demanding answers about yet another tragic shooting. The incident comes weeks after Casey Goodson, a 23-year-old black man, was fatally shot by a Franklin County Sheriff's deputy in Columbus. 
I would like to note the identity of the victim, another neighbor, a middle-aged white woman who spoke on the condition of the anonymity to the Daily Beast. I'm heartbroken that another family has lost an innocent black man. So this is pretty crazy. And when that video gets released, it's going to get really Check out 40inbox.com to master your money, personal finance lessons and courses, and do you want to make money online? Learn the four steps to make money online in the description of this episode. Get a free stock worth up to $500 by joining Robinhood and linking a bank account. And automate your investing with Acorns down in the description below.